certainly a blessing to be with you this evening and trust the Lord would continue to watch over us and provide for our needs. And uh, We're thankful for the song service that's gone before and the prayers. Um, trust we would remain prayerful as we try to speak to you today. Um, I have a subject on my mind. I trust it's of the Lord and he'd bless us for a little while this evening. I think I'd like to begin, I'm sitting over there on the bench thinking how I want to start. I have a lot of scriptures in my mind and I trust the Lord would uh, bless me to speak uh, the things and I hope and I trust it's for the edification and upbuilding of the people of God. Um, I think I'd like to begin, I guess I'll start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, this is a church that uh, if we go to Acts chapter 17, we find the Apostle Paul had went to in his travels, that's where you find him going into Thessalonica and preaching to them, and when he left, uh, there was a church there, and he's writing back letter uh, unto them, the epistles of course are letters, and he writes back to that church, and in this first chapter, he's rehearsing uh, among them his manner of entering in among them to preach. Um, I want to get to the last part of that first chapter, but <coughs> begin in the, in the first, after he introduces himself, he's with, with Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians. He says in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. And then he goes in and reminds them of his manner of entering into them. He says, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. He says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Um, <clears throat> when the preaching of the gospel goes forth, uh, the first thing that is required is God's got to be with the preacher, blessing to preach. And then he's got to be on the other end of blessing you to hear and receive. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I know, brethren beloved, your election of God, because when I preach there, God blessed me to preach, but our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and much assurance. And when it talks about the power, it's not talking about how loud the Apostle Paul preached or how loud we preach. That doesn't equate with the power. It's the Spirit of God bearing witness of the truths of God, manifesting God's truths in the hearts of God's people. In Titus, it talks about how that, uh, um, it says, In hope of eternal life, in the first chapter, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. God promised eternal life before the foundation of the world. But he also, who's the one that's manifesting his word through preaching? It's God is manifesting his word through preaching. And that's what we need, all right? We need uh, to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. And we're dependent upon the Lord to do that. But my friends, I can't convince you of anything. I can't convict you of anything. I really can't teach you a whole lot. But the Holy Spirit of God, God himself can manifest his word through preaching. And that's when it's good. Because you get a message from the Lord. 
So Paul says, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance. And it talks about in the verse 10, 9 and 10, he says, you know, what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I want to notice the way to introduce what's on my mind this evening. I want to notice what they did. When that gospel came, not in word only, but also the Spirit of God, and, and without <coughs> saying, they had a heart to be able to receive it. They were born of the Spirit of God. That's all understood. Old Baptists understand that, right? The Holy Spirit of God, they had been quickened into life, and God now can show them some things, and they have a receiver. They have a hearing ear, a seeing eye, and an understanding heart. So the gospel came, God blessed the gospel to come in power and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And it says that when the effect of Paul's preaching, when God manifested his word through the preaching of the Apostle Paul, it didn't just come in word only, it didn't just go in their head, it went down to their heart and their being and their soul because that's where God put it and witnessed his truths to. It says, you know how that ye turned to God from idols. And I want to look at a couple of things they did. They turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. This is an example of a conversion, gospel conversion, if you will. How God showed them who they were in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they showed God manifested and witnessed and showed in their hearts that Jesus Christ had delivered them from the wrath to come. Because the last part of that verse is, says they were waiting for Christ to come back, which had delivered them from the wrath to come. They weren't just waiting for a, you know, a historical Jesus to come back. Uh, believe it or not, in, when I was in high school, a senior in uh, Perryton, Texas, we, we, they taught us about Jesus. Did you know that? <clears throat> the historical man, that there was a man, he was a historical figure. I was shocked, but I was, I was glad. But anyway, uh, that's about all they said about it. But this isn't just talking about a historical Jesus. They understood that this Jesus delivered them from the wrath to come. They had seen who they are in Christ. God had showed them that their sins had been put away by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that he had delivered them from the wrath that was due their sins, that Jesus Christ endured that wrath on the cross, thereby delivering them from that wrath that their sins deserved. All right? But here, one OC, what it, so what I want to look at is this thing. What did they do? This is a conversion, how they took up their cross to follow the Lord. They began to serve the Lord. In other words, they began doing the Lord's thing, not their own thing. All right? Uh, they lost their life to live under the Lord, you see. All right? The text says, you know how that ye turn to God from their idols. They were idolaters. All right? And we have plenty of idols in our day and age and in our lives that we need to turn away from. Little children, uh, over there in, I think, Third John, keep yourselves from idols, all right? But anyway, these were probably pagans, though. It says, how ye turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God. Isn't that what we do in discipleship? We try to do the Lord's thing. We try to uh, obey and please the Lord as we live. We try to be good husbands, good wives, good children, to be obedient to our parents, good good employees and good neighbors and loving the Lord and loving one another. All these things we try to do uh, uh, to please the Lord and to live like the Lord would have us to do. We're talking about discipleship here, right? They turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God. 
But that's not all they did. This text says they did two things. It's very important. That says, what does it say? <clears throat> you know how that ye turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God? They, they turn to God from idols to, number one, to serve the true and living God, and number two, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And I, I'll submit to you that that second thing they did was just as important as the first thing they did. Sometimes we just look at the first thing that was done. I want you to see here that they were actively and had a focus and a vision. While they're serving God here horizontally, I will say, they have a sight vertically. Because as they're trying to be a good disciple and, and love the Lord and love the Lord's people and try to be honest and, and all these things that we think about when we talk about how we're to live in this life and treat one another, right? Living horizontally, that's not all they did. They also, not only did they turn to serve the true and living God, but also to wait for his son from heaven. See, they had a view of that. In other words, while they're serving God here below, they have an idea and the vision in their mind that they're waiting for the Lord to come back. And it's not just any Lord, it's the Lord that delivered them from the wrath to come. I mean to tell you, see, they under <clears throat> See, we have in heaven a better and enduring substance than what we have right here. We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. It's reserved in heaven for us, Peter said. If we over, turn over to the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, it talks about how that our loved ones that have died in the Lord, that uh, we can have a hope of the resurrection because the Lord's going to come back and they're going to be raised out of the ground. He says over there in 4.13, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Some people don't have any kind of expectation past this life. It's because they don't have a Christian worldview. They don't know what's really going on. And maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. There's a lot of people who live their life. They don't know what's going on. These brethren of Thessalonica, they understood what was going on. They understood that Jesus Christ had died the death, had delivered them from all uh, their sins, and they were going to live with him in glory forever and ever and ever. Now, there's your Christian worldview. You know, this world's not our home. We're just here for a little while. We're going to be at the Lord forever and ever and ever. And that's what I was getting to there in the fourth chapter where he says, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant concerning those who are asleep, those that have died in the Lord. He says, he says in verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Je Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Those are the saints of God that have died, their spirit and soul are with the Lord. He's going to bring them back one day because there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. And he goes through all there, and I'm not going to read all that, but we get down to the end. It says in verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. How long is that? It's forever. It's ever and ever. We're not living here forever. We're just here for a very short time. As a matter of fact, James says this. 
In James chapter 4, he says, what is your life? What is your life? Verse 14, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Vanisheth away. And hopefully I'll get back to that. But I want you to, I want you to see it's very important that as we're living here our life trying to serve the Lord that we continue to wait for him with fond expectation that he's coming again. That was what they did. Think about that just for a moment. These brethren, they saw the Lord, who he was, what he did, delivered him from the wrath to come, and they wanted to please him until he came again and received them unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. He's coming again. And we're going to live with him forever and ever and ever. And they... As they turned from their idols to serve the true and living God, they not only turned to serve Him, but they turned to be in a ready, waiting uh, position, looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They lived their life that, that way. That's what I want to talk about tonight. It's very important that we live our life that way, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in fond expectation that He's coming again with the idea of who we are in Christ and what awaits us, that we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. All right. Before we get too far, I want to just look at some other scriptures. This isn't the only place where they were living and trying to uh, serve the Lord, as I said, horizontally, but keeping their eyes vertical. All right. Uh, let's, let's look at another place. Let's look at uh, the grace of God. Let's look in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God teaches us this. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously, soberly, and, uh, soberly and godly in this present world. That's how we live, right? That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You see, it's a pair. Well, I'm living here this way, trying to serve the Lord, avoid all these things. And while I'm looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he's coming again. I need to keep our eyes on the Lord as we live here below. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just showing you, this is, this is not just a one-time occurrence in the Bible. Let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I showed you three times in the scripture on three different occasions where people are trying to serve the Lord here as they live, and they're keeping their eyes on the Lord. And they're keeping some things in their minds. You know, not, not all discipleship has to do with the things how I treat my family, treat my neighbor, and, and how I worship the Lord in church and, and, and all these things. And this is the difficult part of discipleship. We're going to talk about a difficult part, or at least it is for me. Because in my discipleship, God requires me to be thinking rightly and to be thinking about some things. To be thinking about some things. 
You know, God, uh, before we get to the scripture I want to go to, I'm going to go to one first. In Philippians, um, I think it's chapter 4, verse, verse 8, says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, you know where I am at, right? Think on these things. You mean the Lord wants me to think on some things? You know what? This is really not any less important than husbands love your wives. I mean, it's a command. He, this is not just a suggestion. He's saying, think on these things. All right? Those brethren at Thessalonica, they turn to serve the true and living God, and they're thinking in their mind, they're positioned, ready for the Lord to come back, which had delivered them from the wrath to come. They're, they were waiting, you see. They're thinking of, they had their eyes on the Lord and what he's done for us and where I'm going to be later on as I'm trying to serve the Lord here. You know, you can get in trouble when you lose sight of the Lord. If you go to, let's get one example. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. You remember this is where Jesus was uh, <clears throat> told the apostles to go over the sea on a ship. And they went. And he was praying. He came out and met them later. He, and they saw him. They thought they saw some kind of spirit. He's over there walking on the water. Matthew chapter 14, it says they cried out, it's a spirit. It says saying it's a spirit. They cried out with fear. Verse 27, this is for, at Matthew 14, 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And Peter went, and Peter and when Peter was come out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And I want to stop right there and just make a point. You know, sometimes we get on Peter, don't we? I mean, he was real quick on the draw. Do you know what? He loved his Lord. Who do men say that I, that son of man, am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, right? I mean, he was ready to go. I, I, I see Peter. I mean, I commend Peter right here. Those 11 other apostles didn't set, didn't set their foot outside the boat. You thought you think about that? Where would we be? Lord, if you be, I mean, Peter is full of zeal. If it's you, bid me come. He said, come. And Peter, what did he do? He stepped out of a perfectly good boat in the, oh, in the sea. I commend Peter. Wow. What would I have done? Am I ready to set out my foot on it? Just saying. Peter's on fire for the Lord. All right, a lot of times he said things, you know, before he thought very much, but, you know, but he's full of zeal for the Lord, though. I, that's all I want to say about that. I'll give Peter some credit there. He, he stepped out, and he was flat walking on the water. It was enough the Lord said, come, boy, he stepped out. You talk about faith? Mm, wonder what I'd have done. Anyway, he's walking on the water. But the rest of the text says, but when he saw the wind, what did he see? I imagine the first thing, when he first stepped out there, he's probably looking at the Lord, don't you think? But then he saw the winds were boisterous. He saw all those waves, and he was afraid and beginning to sink. You know when he got in trouble? When he took his eyes off the Lord. And he saw the winds and the waves. 
I'm going to tell you what, we have winds and waves of adversity in our life, don't we? Don't we have troubles? Don't we have trials? Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. I'm going to tell you all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The next verse says evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. The more they wax worse and worse, the more persecution we're going to have, brother. I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. How are we going to stand? Well, we need to run our race with patience looking unto Jesus. We need to make sure we keep our eyes on the Lord because we get in trouble just like Peter did when we take our eyes off of the Lord and start focusing and just looking horizontal where we're living. Oh, my goodness, all these things are against me. I, what am I going to do? And I, I forget about God. The Lord doesn't want us to forget about the Lord. I just showed you three examples where these people were trying to serve the Lord and remembering the Lord. Running their race with patience, looking unto Jesus. They turned to serve the true living God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. The grace of God which brings salvation teaches us how to live godly and also in the position of looking for the blessed hope, you see, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to have that. Now, let's, let's look. I looked in Philippians chapter 4, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of things are true, think on these things. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I mentioned a while ago, part of our discipleship, it takes place right here. Right, right, right in my brain, right in my mind. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 13, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that revelation is talking about when he's revealed from heaven the second time and he's coming again. All right, That's what it means by the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes again. This text tells me that this isn't just a suggestion. I kind of wish it was sometimes because, you know, I don't do really good in my discipleship just up between my ears. You know why? Because I guess I'm kind of lazy. I don't like to have to think. I didn't have a TV. I've got a TV at home right now. I didn't have one in college and several years afterwards. You know why? Because I love to just sit and watch it. And I, can, I can get through six, eight hours just sitting in front of a tube. Um, why? Because it's doing all my thinking for me. I don't like to think. Thinking's hard. It's work to think. But I find that this is what the Lord has told me to do. When he says, gird up the loins of your mind, that's kind of strange. You know, in the Old Testament, they, would, uh, they had kind of flowing garments and they, back in that day. And they would, if they were getting ready to run, what would they do? They would take their, their garments, gird them about their loins so they don't trip up and they run. In other words, there's preparation. He's saying there's some preparation up here in our minds. That we need to do. We need to gird up the loins of our, our minds. Prepare our minds. And be sober. And that doesn't just mean. Don't go out here and drink and get drunk. That the word sober means. To be right minded. 
have your right mind about you, you see. Be thinking correctly, you see. Those Thessalonians were thinking correctly as they turned from their idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven because he had promised he's going to come again and take them home one day, you see. But we can get in big trouble when we don't think. He says be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Let's go to uh, All right, let's go to Hebrews 10. Oh, before we do that, See, I have described to you how that we should be serving the Lord here horizontally, looking to be you know, the Lord to come again. And I've kind of hinted that, you know, we're just here for a little while, right? But I, so now I'm gonna now I'm gonna talk about the word I wanted to talk about <clears throat> that fits all what I've said. We're just strangers and pilgrims on this earth. One of these days, you and I are gonna go to a home that we've never seen before. And we're going to go home to that place and we're going to be there forever and ever and ever. We're strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Strangers and pilgrims. Our uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven. You look up that word conversation and it comes from a... Well, usually that word conversation is how you live. That one's a little different word. It means your citizenship. Your citizenship's in heaven. We have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. It's reserved in heaven for us, and we're going to be there forever and ever. The life that we live now, what is your life? It's like a little vapor. It's here for a little time, and then we're with the Lord forever. If I could put your existence on a timeline today, you would have over here a timeline of your whole existence. And I could start out over here, your little time in this life. I don't care if you're 80, 90, 100 years old. I could, if I had a, a timeline of your total existence, you start out over here on earth, it'd be a little dot on this timeline, a little speck on a timeline of a line that continues forever and ever and has no end. Do we have the right perspective of life? You know, the world says, well, you know, only go around once, you know, grab all the gusto you can get, and, you know, this, this is all you got, right? I mean, <laughs> eat and drink for tomorrow we die, and it's all over. You, you're dead all over like the dead dog rover or the, you know, or the kitty cat clover or whatever it is. All right? You know, it's, it's all there is. You know, I worked with, a, I work at Texas A&M University, and I had, you work with all kinds of people, man. There's atheists, there's Christians, there's agnostics. I had an agnostic. He said he was an agnostic. He was a graduate student. And it was interesting. I said, well, why are you an agnostic, not an atheist? He said, well, I can't just get my mind around the fact that when I die, it's done. I said, well, you know, it's not done when you die. I mean, and see, it's not done for anybody when they die. It's not done for anybody when they die. But people have different worldviews. 
all right? They think when this life's done, what's your life? It's like a little vapor and boom, it's gone, it ends. And your existence is over. There's people in this world who don't know. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying there's people in this world who don't know what's going on. All right? When it's all said and done, there's not going to be any atheists because everybody's going to know. And every knee's going to bow. And every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father. But there's a lot of people living in this life right now. They don't know what's going on. They don't have a proper worldview. They have no clue of reality. Sometimes we have loved ones who, God forbid, gets Alzheimer's, right? You know, I, 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 may, I may do the same. I may be lining up. But we see people that maybe have dementia, and we say, well, they're, they're, you know, they don't really know what's going on. Well, I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of people who don't have dementia and Alzheimer's. They don't know what's going on either. Because they think when it, this little life's over, it's, go, it's over. But that's not the way it is. <clears throat> be, to be sober-minded is to realize reality. We need to realize reality. And God tells us, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, be sober-minded. And hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought in you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. I mean, we're going to be basking in the glory of God forever and ever with the Lord. That's reality. And it's with the understanding of that that we're really just strangers and pilgrims on this earth. I'm a foreigner. You're a foreigner. This world's not your home. Your citizenship is in heaven from which we look for the Savior. See, we're looking for him to come. We want to be here just as long as the Lord wants us to be. Paul says in Philippians 1.23, he says, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with the Lord, which is much better. Nevertheless, it's more needful that I abide here. The Lord wasn't done with him. I'm not trying to discount our life. You know, if the Lord didn't want you to be here, you wouldn't be here. Uh, you say, well, I don't know. You know I mean, uh, when the Lord get, gets ready to take you home, he's going to take you home. All right? We, want to, we ought to just want to be here as long as the Lord wants us to be. Occupy till he comes. If that's what he wants me to do, I'm willing to do it. I'm ready to do it. But I'm not going to forget where I'm going. I'm not going to forget the home. I'm going to a home I've never seen before. I'm a stranger and pilgrim on the earth. And I'm going to tell you we need to have that mentality of being sober-minded with a real world view that we're here just for a little while and eternity stands before us when we're with him forever and ever and ever. But is that how we practically do these things and live our life? We should. He tells us to think. Satan, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 the Apostle Paul says, verse 3, I fear lest by any means, the as the serpent beguiled Eve, so that your minds 
should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. And all I want out of, out of that is Satan's interested in your mind. In your mind. To get you thinking about a lot of things. When God says, gird up the Lord your mind, think about these things. Keep your eye upon the Lord. Wait for him to come again. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We get in real trouble when we take our eyes off the Lord. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 as an example of the trouble. You remember, don't forget Peter. He got in trouble out there walking on the water. Why? Because he started looking at all the winds and the waves and he took his eyes off the Lord. Man, that'll get us in trouble quickly. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. You know, this, the book of Hebrews was written to the, uh, to the Jews, the Christian Jews, I believe. But they had a hard time. They did. Because they were persecuted by their brethren. I get the idea that, you know, for a Jew in Judaism to kind of turn to the Lord, Jesus Christ, was kind of like a, maybe a Muslim, you know, turning. You know, from the Muslim faith. They frown on it big time. So they were persecuted. All right? Paul is, uh, in, here in, in Hebrews chapter 10, he says here in verse 22, let us draw near, or verse 23, he said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. All right? They were having a time. <clears throat> let us hold forth let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another unto provoke. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. We've heard that all our life, right? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Well, you know, in the context of it, he says, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. There were some in that day. The persecution. And trials and persecution against them was so great that some of them weren't going down there and meeting anymore. We may have that trial and test coming soon in the next 10, 20 years. Or maybe sooner. All right? Well, what did they do? Hold fast. He's encouraging to hold fast the profession of your faith. He says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The persecution was so hot that they were, so I'm not going, I don't know, I don't even, I'm not going to go down there anymore. I'll stay home. The point is they had persecution and trial. And you know what they're looking at? They're looking at the persecution and the trial. Do you know what the remedy for that is? After he gives them a warning, we find the remedy. Verse 32. He tells them to do something. It has to do with that thing I said I didn't like to do. Think. Renew something in my mind. Bring something. You know, over in uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to renew our mind. We need to be thinking about certain things and be sober-minded. Don't forget that I'm here just a little while. Let, let's read what he said. Here's the remedy. 
He says in verse 32, But call to remembrance the former days in which ye were illuminated. Ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Now he's, what he's doing here, he says, call to remembrance. Right? You're scared. You're not going down and meeting with the saints of God anymore. There's persecution because you're looking at the winds and the waves out here and all the, all the things, right? They stop looking to the Lord, you see. He says, okay, here's the remedy. Gird up the loins of your mind. Think about this. He says, call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated. I like to say it this way. And remember the, the time of your first love with the Lord. <laughs> when you saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And he showed you that you were saved by grace. That, you were, that, your, that your sins were, were, were put away as far as the east is from the west. You realize that you had a righteousness through the Lord Jesus Christ. He had saved you from the wrath to come. And you're, you're full of zeal for the Lord. You're ready. You're, you're with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Send me. I'm ready to go. In the master's service. Lord, what would you have me to do? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to serve you. Because you're my Savior. You're my strength. You're my all my all. And you've already fought the fight. You've, you've finished that. And you have uh, redeemed me from the curse of the law being made a curse for me. The life that I now live in the flesh, Paul says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm the Lord's. I'm ready to go. Arm in arm with the brothers and sisters because I realize that this heaven, this world is not my home. I have a home eternal in the heavens reserved for me there to live with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever when I get through living in this slow ground of sin and sorrow. He says, call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated. It says, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Not some little fight. He said, ye endured some great fights back in the day when you were illuminated. He says, remember, call to remembrance the former days in which, which after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock. A gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. He says, he says uh, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. In other words, back in that day, guess what? You'd lock hands, you know, together. Here's somebody being persecuted over here. You'd stand up next to him and say, that's all right, brother. I got you. We're good. We'll go, through, we'll go through the fire together, you see. Do you know how they were able to fight the great fight of afflictions and be made a gazing stock by the world, being strange, weird, abhor you because of how you live for Christ? All the things the world may uh, uh, bring upon you. He says, we're, they were able to endure all that. You know how? He tells us at the end of this verse. He says, you were able to endure all these things. And even for you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, here it is, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You go read that. How were they able to endure a great fight of afflictions? Knowing that they have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. How were they uh, mocked and ridiculed? How could they endure all that? Knowing in themselves they have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. How could they be so misused and compassionate of Paul in, in his bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of their goods? 
Knowing, in your, that, knowing what? He says, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Paul tells those brethren over there who were forsaking the assembling of themselves together because all the persecution, they're just looking at that. He says, call to remembrance the former days of the time of your first love when you were illuminated. You endured a great fight of afflictions. How? Because you had your eyes on the Lord. You had the right uh, worldview because you're living as a stranger and a pilgrim. You realize you're just a little here, here just a little while. We're going to be with the Lord forever. We're strangers and pilgrims. Let's go to turn the page to chapter 11 of Hebrews. Chapter 11. Great faith chapter. Verse 12. Let's start in verse 12. Therefore, there... Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the skies of multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. All, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims, on the earth. For they that say such things de declare plainly that they seek a country. All right? You go down a few verses, it talks about how they sought a, a country. What do you mean? They sought a heavenly country. A heavenly country. Do you realize these patriarchs? This is, this is very important. This is one of the most important things <clears throat> I want to try to bring to you right here. Right here it is. What did they do? They were persuaded. Are you persuaded that you have a home in heaven? That the Lord's going to come one time uh, again with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and we're all going to go home and be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Do you believe that? I know you do. You believe it, right? Oh, how harmful it is when we forget it. How bad it can be for us when we forget it. How downtrodden we can get when we forget it. That we forget that we have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Call to remembrance. Think about it. Gird up the loins of your mind. They were persuaded of it. They were persuaded. They were looking for a country. They were persuaded. They knew they had a home somewhere else. And it was a heavenly country. It was a heavenly place. This text says they were persuaded of these promises. But they also embraced them. Listen, they embraced them. Because they embraced these truths, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. See, they didn't just believe the truth, they embraced it in their lives. In other words, they lived it. They lived it. They had the mindset. We're supposed to realize we're strangers and pilgrims. On this earth, this earth's not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we're supposed to remember it and not forget it as we're living here below. We're, we're, we're saying, oh, I'm a stranger. I'm waiting for the Lord to come again. I'm looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. As I'm going through my trials and tribulations. As we run our race with patience, now yeah, looking unto Jesus. I'm just a stranger and pilgrim here. Do we live it? I'll show you one man that lived it. Turn with me to uh, 
Genesis chapter 37. This is one of my favorite texts in the Bible, in the Old Testament. I mean, uh, Genesis uh, 40, 47, sorry. Genesis 47, verse 9. You remember when Jacob came, 70 souls came into Egypt, you know, and uh, Jacob and his household, you know, during the second year of the famine, and when Joseph was storing up corn and all that, right? And he meets Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And Jacob meet. And we find here in verse 8, Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And I love Jacob's response. Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. The what? What do you say when somebody asks how old you are? You say the days of the years of my pilgrimage are so many years. Well, we typically don't do that, do we? Listen to what he said. He's not done. He says, the days of the year, how old are you? He says, the days of the years of my pilgrimage. Can you see how he didn't just believe this truth? He'd embraced this truth in his life, in his living. He's living this truth. See, we are strangers and pilgrims. And I would, support, I would tell you today, we need to live as strangers and pilgrims. And when I'm saying that, I am not telling you, well, you know what, I'm going to leave this meeting. I'm going to just start pretending I'm a stranger and pilgrim. I ain't talking about, I ain't. I don't want to be a bad influence on the kids. Now I can't even say that. We're not trying to pretend, we're not pretending. We need to live as strangers and pilgrims because that's what we are. In reality, remember, we're here a little while. We really are strangers and pilgrims. So we ought to live like it. I'm not talking about pretending anything. In Colossians chapter 3, and maybe this will make it easier. What I'm trying to tell you, Colossians chapter 3 in verse 12 says this. How many of you, your old Baptist, uh, uh, know that you're of the elect of God. Yeah, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, right? I mean, that's just a given, right? I mean, that's not a given, but I mean, we understand it, right? He says here in verse Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, etc. He's saying, as the elect of God... Here's what you ought to put on. Here's how you ought to act, right? Is he telling them there that you're supposed to pretend you're the elect? No. He's saying because you are the elect, this is how you're supposed to live, right? All right. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He's not telling you to pretend anything. He says, because you're strangers and because you're pilgrims, here's how you ought to live. Because you're elect, here's how you ought to live. Because you're a stranger and pilgrim, here's how you ought to live. And you know why? And I, maybe somebody disagree, but you know how this chapter starts off? 
Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge. They're strangers and pilgrims on this earth. That's what they are. That's what they are. So we get back over here to Genesis chapter 47. How old art thou? The days of the year, I mean, it's just like comes natural to him. The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life been and have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Do we think of terms like that? You see, not only were they persuaded, these old patriarchs weren't just persuaded of these promises. They embraced them. And by embracing them in their life, they confessed they were strangers and pilgrims. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. It's when you embrace that truth and you're living that truth, you, you're confessing, yeah, that's what I am. I'm a stranger and pilgrim on this earth. We need to be thinking right. Thinking right. Satan is interested in your mind and my mind to get you off. To start looking at the winds and the waves and the evils and the troubles and all these things that we think are so much against us. And they are, but you know what? <laughs> In the end, the Lord wins the battle. He wins the whole war. God is on my side, I'll not fear. And one of these days, he's going to come and take me home. We need to be thinking. As a matter of fact, you know, the arm, there's armor for the Christian, right? And the sword of the Spirit. We have a shield of faith. Over there in Ephesians talks about that. Well, the Apostle Paul talks about that in the, first, in the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. I want to go there real quickly. Try to bring our remarks to a close, maybe. First Thessalonians chapter 5. You know, the Apostle Paul is... He's going to deal with some armor. Let me just lead up to it just for a moment. He's talking about the, when the Lord comes again. All right? And he starts out, he says, At the times and seasons, brethren, there's no need I write unto you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And then he starts to tell them, But you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. And then he, gets, he says, verse 5, We are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. In other words, here's these people don't live in reality. I mean, it's going to come as like a thief in the night. You know, we know the Lord's coming. You see? We know the truth of it. We're here for a little while. One day the Lord's going to come, and this whole thing, this whole world's going to be uh, gone, and we're going to live with him forever and ever and ever and ever. He just, actually, he just covered that in the chapter 4 that we went over earlier, right? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and trumpel God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need I write in you. But see, it's going to come as a thief in the night to some people because they don't know what's going on. All right? But he says... That day is not going to overtake you as a thief. You, have, you, you know what's going on. He's going to come again. He says, you're, verse 5 says, You are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the light nor, not, nor of darkness. Then he says, verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober. There's that word sober. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. 
be sober. Uh, we're going we're to see about this word sober. He says, watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. All right? Just another word about sober. He's saying, you need to be thinking right. See, a person's drunk, they're not in their right mind. Right? Not in their right mind. I mean, you know, they, they get drunk and they messes their mind up. They're not in their right mind. And that's what he's dealing with here. He said, you need to be in your right mind. Well, how is it being in your right mind? Well, you know the Lord's coming back. <laughs> he's going to take you home. You have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You're just a stranger and pilgrim on this life, in this world. You have salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you. That whether we wake or sleep, we're going to live together with him. That's sober thinking. Because it's correct thinking. We're in our right mind when we're thinking. Because that's reality, my friend. We're our, we have a, our citizenship is in heaven. I'll say it again. We're going home to a country we've never been before, but we're citizens of that country. We're going to be there forever and ever. We're just here for a little while. That's sober thinking. Watch and be sober because the Lord's coming back. Be in your right mind. And he says this. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Think about that. What do you put around your head? Where's your mind at? It's in my head. What is Satan interested in? My mind. It's in my head. How am I going to protect my head? With a helmet? What is that helmet? It's the hope of salvation. That's not a wish, brother. That's an expectation. That's a fond expectation of salvation when the Lord comes again. We're to arm our minds. Keep our minds. Be thinking about the right thing. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Remember the former times we were illuminated. We know that we have in heaven a better and enduring substance. We not, need not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to be thinking about these things. Gird up the loins of our mind and hope that's expect to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, you see. He's telling us what to do. That's an activity on our part in our discipleship to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to not forget he's coming again. That's why he wants us to watch and be sober and to put on this helmet, which is the hope and expectation of salvation one day when the Lord comes again. And why in the world would we have that hope, that expectation of salvation? He tells us in the next verse. He says, for God hath not, uh, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. By our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, if the Lord Jesus Christ died for the purpose that we would live together with him, we're all going to live with, together with him. Those for whom he died, that was his purpose. And it doesn't matter if I'm alive or if I'm dead when the Lord comes again, but I'm going to live together with him forever and ever and ever. And I need to put that helmet, that expectation of salvation when the Lord comes again the second time without sin unto the salvation of his people and we go home to be with the Lord forever and ever, I need to arm my mind with that helmet, that expectation he's coming again. As I live here below, don't run my race with patience looking unto Jesus. 
waiting for him to come who loved me and died for my sins. Who died for me that whether I'm alive or dead when he comes, I'm going to live together with him forever and ever. We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. How old are you? In the days of the years of my pilgrimage, I'm 58 years old. See, I, I, I've embraced that truth. Do we embrace that truth? Do we live that life? My friends, I'm going to tell you, you can walk on the water. You can get through all kinds of diversity. You can get through all kinds of trial and troubles because the Lord's got your back. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's delivered us in such great a death and doth deliver. He's yet going to deliver us out of all our trials. But remember the former days. Remember, you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. One of these days, we're going to go home to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. We're here for a little while, but then we're going to that home. We've never been there before, but we're going to be there for a long time. May God bless you is my prayer.